As we're walking our way through Acts, looking at the books of the New Testament and the order in which they were written, you might have noticed something about Acts, is that it's a lot more interesting if you go through it and see it as a fast-moving set of events that occurred to real people in real time and had real consequences, rather than going through Acts looking for doctrines, looking for patterns to follow looking for details as if you were trying to dissect it. But there's a truth about living things, and that is if you autopsy a living thing, you will kill it. And if you pull and dissect and try to parse every single word and sentence to find hidden meanings, goals, procedures, and precision, you will kill this amazing book. This book moves quickly. And now we find ourselves up to chapter 21 and it starts moving even more quickly as Paul, and he knew this, we saw last week, Paul is heading toward his period of hardship and then death. He knows that he's outrun it so far and he's followed the Holy Spirit and there were a couple of times where he would have run right to his death had the disciples not held him back. Now he's on his path. In chapter 21, after we'd torn ourselves away from them. These are the, the leaders from Ephesus, the place where they've been for three years. I know what that feels like in part, in that I've had to say goodbye all of my life to people that I dearly loved, churches that I dearly loved, merely because it was time for me to move on. And yet, I always was able to reach back to them and see them and travel through again that's not going to happen here. They're saying goodbye to people they truly love, knowing that they will not see them again. So after we'd torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Though through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out on the city. There on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. Now, did you catch something there? Uh, my opening comments were there for a reason. Did you catch what happened? Paul, I think, is getting tired. I think age is hitting him. And I think that he doesn't always listen as he might, might have listened before. So this time, through the Spirit, the people were begging him not to go, but he went. He'd been listening to the Spirit. And I think had the Spirit spoken directly to his heart, Paul probably would have heard the Spirit. But the Spirit was still trying to protect Paul if Paul was willing to be protected. And maybe this will help. Sometimes we wonder what God's plan is for us in our life. And we'll say, should I go here or there? Should I take this job or stay in this job? Should I, when God's intention and his plan is to bless you, and bless you regardless of which of those decisions you make. Would God have a preference? 
I think sometimes God definitely has a preference. Is he disappointed when you don't go that direction? Probably not. I think probably we're more disappointed with God than he is with us because he understands us better than we understand him. But Paul would have been blessed had he stayed in Tyre. He would have had more years of ministry. But Paul had his face set toward Jerusalem and that final series of conflicts that would end with his beheading in Rome. Although he didn't know the particulars, he knew where the journey led. And it reminds me of Jesus who set his face toward Jerusalem and his disciples said, don't, don't go. Don't you remember they tried to kill you there? But they saw his face set toward Jerusalem. Sometimes you have to set your face. Sometimes you have to stand up and do the hard thing. Even if God is willing to bless you doing other things. And Paul here moves from being a writer, an evangelist, in my book, to being a hero, to being the one who faces forward against unreasonable odds and moves. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Don't rush past that. Paul's daughters publicly preached. That's what the word prophesy means back in this time. Four daughters were preachers. And this is Philip the Evangelist, the same one that we found back baptizing the queen's treasurer, a.k.a. the Ethiopian eunuch. I have brought this up to people whenever they, uh, they won't let a woman lead a prayer or pass a communion tray in their churches. And they see that at our safe harbor, women hold any role that any man holds, including preaching, including uh, being on the board, including making plans and such. And, and they're going, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Women are, keep silent. And so go back to the um, midweek Bible classes where we looked at 1 Corinthians and where we looked at all those passages. And we're about to go into Timothy here in the next month. So you can, you can check it out there. And you can see that these were cultural things Paul was talking about. He was not saying that all women everywhere had to be quiet. Instead, Paul called Phoebe a deacon. He's the only person in the scripture. She's the only person in the scripture that is expressly called a deacon. Uh, she was undoubtedly the person that brought the book of Romans to Rome and read it to them because the names used for her indicate the task of reading aloud the sermon, the letter to the people. And here these, these women preached. I brought this up to a man once immediately. He said, but they didn't preach to men. I said, no, where did you get that? He goes, well, because Paul says that they were to be silent. Therefore, Philip's daughters didn't. Well, hang on. First of all, Paul's writing is not anything Philip would have ever read that it doesn't come about. You know, those writings aren't being circulated. And even if he did, if Philip read it, that's even worse for you because he disregarded it as something that Paul was talking to to address the situation in Corinth, not with his daughters. If you have to read a verse and then develop this universe in your brain, 
where Philip goes out and preaches to everybody. And then he has four daughters who preach with him, but they can't preach to any men. You are, you're in an untenable place theologically. You're having to make up these things. Uh, I even had one person jump on and say, it doesn't say with him. Okay, where'd they prophesy? Where did his four unmarried daughters brought? Why was it brought up? Why did Luke think it was important to bring it up? Without condemnation, just as a news point. No explanation. Why should we explain it away? After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says this, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Most of these names, city names, place names, and people names, will never be of use to you. But this was the way that Luke recorded things in detail. And we're able now to track Paul's movements. You will find um, that there are trips that are sponsored by ministers and travel companies where you can track and walk in the steps of Paul. And these are real people. <coughs> Many of them show up, <coughs> excuse me, uh, not just here, but also in the historical record. And by the way, the Bible is part of the historical record. And so it's there and it helps validate that these events did occur and these people did exist. But for most of us, we believe that anyway. Uh, so it's, that's just something there. It's kind of like in the Old Testament. Sometimes there'll be a list of nations and you're going, why do we need to know this? And then you will find books that will say these things never existed. And then somebody will dig it up and there's a, there's a tablet saying, we're from this country and this thing happened. So, you know, that's why the details are in there, whether you need them or not. I'm aware the light is changing radically. I'm in a hotel room. And uh, between the, um, the windows and, and the clouds, I hope it's not throwing you off too much. The, the, um, the scene here to us was very odd, where Agabus comes up and takes the belt from Paul and ties his hands and feet and says, the Holy Spirit says, this is how you are going to leave Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders are going to do this to you. Once again, the Holy Spirit is making it very plain to Paul that if he chooses this path, this is where it goes. And Paul is making it very plain to the people. I know, and I'm going anyway. Like I said, he's moved from just, just writer, evangelist, teacher of the Gentiles to hero status to me when he does this. I, I don't believe in throwing your life away. I don't believe in being stupid with it, but I believe in deciding that you're going to make a mark and that that mark might cost your life 
is okay with you as long as you make the mark. And boy, did he make the mark. Well, as we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. So call back to Acts 15. <coughs> Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. In other words, these are not weak Jews. These are devout Jews. James was a devout Jew. Paul was a devout Jew. These are devout Jews, and they see that Jesus is the promised Messiah. This is just so exciting. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs what shall we do because they will certainly hear that you've come so we have a plan what's going on here they're saying yay Paul look at what you've done all of these you know thousands it's amazing that here's a problem those um, a lot of them here they're devout Christians but they're really upset at you because you're telling them that their Jewish law doesn't apply anymore to these Gentiles coming in. And that's just very, very upsetting. Well, it was in chapter 15 as well. But now, there are some people that are saying, Paul, why don't you ease a bit and add some more rules just to save your life and, and to tamp down the trouble. So what shall we do? They're going to hear you've come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there's no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Now again, if you listen to the lesson on Acts 15, you know about that exchange, you know about that letter, and that the Gentiles were not being bound by any of the Jewish laws of purification when it comes to food, um, their dress, their, um, their circumcision, none of those things applied, and they were getting along with that. But what was bothering the church at Jerusalem was that they were hearing Paul wasn't pushing this even on Jews. And so they're saying, let the people see that you're still a Jew. You've not turned your back on your people. And so you had to pay to get your head shaved. You still do, it's called a barber. Then you paid to have the rites done. Uh, so Paul went along with it. I will tell you that that surprises me a little bit. And I've heard a lot of reasons why it shouldn't. And I think they're valid. I think my friends that have told me, well, I'm not surprised, and here's why, are very wise people. It just seems that with Paul as focused as he was on the end of his life and what it might cost him to take this kind of a little segue step was unusual. And then I look at my own life, and I see a man who knows God and knows the Scripture, knows science and knows my life, and yet consistently is not consistent and who fails here there and elsewhere very publicly 
because my life is lived out loud. Uh, and never failing casually. It's never like, well, I felt disappointed with me. And so if I can't have complete consistency, I can't demand someone else to have it. Fair enough. Next day, Paul took the man and purified himself along with them. Just means you make the vows, you do the washing, uh, almost certainly going into the mikvah, mikvah ut, if he went into more than one, uh, putting on new clothes, the shaving, the taking of vows of, of uh, very strictness in what you would eat. They went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. The, these were... Um, these were rules that the Jews had received, but also that they had refined and added to over the years. When the seven days were over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. I've never suffered what Paul has suffered, but I have been in places before to speak or just to listen. And a couple people spy me. And coming over, and how dare you say this, and I hear you've done this, and you're about... It's... I don't know why God... Why people think that God needs free-range bulldogs out there to, um, to grab any rogue sheep and bring them down. But <clears throat> some people do. Regardless, they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is a man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law in this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. And a parenthetical statement off to the side here, probably part of the original. A lot of parenthetical statements were notes made in the margin that kind of got moved in. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Oh, assume. We all know the little saying. We assume too much. Try living your life being more intentionally naive. In other words, assuming the best even against evidence. And see how much more peace that gives you. Really does. It's really worth it. Well, here the whole city was aroused and people come running from all direction. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, while they were trying to kill him. So he's being beaten, kicked, kneed, stomped. While, this is an older man. News reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Because you see, it doesn't matter who's guilty of what. They're going to pull swords and start killing people to bring the peace back. Uh, nobody had rights. There were no trials. It was the peace at any cost. The commander came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains, just like Agabus had said. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. What a horrific scene. I just, what a terrible scene. But you know what's worse? This is going to make it a lot worse. Exponentially worse. 
the people that were rioting, stomping, wanting them killed, get rid of them. We're doing it in the name of God because they believe that's what God wanted. Christians, we have brought our bad name upon ourselves. It's not just here. And these were Jewish people, but they were, some of them seem from the context to have actually accepted Jesus. But it was a Jesus and the law. And anytime you have a religion which is Jesus and, you've got problems. But crusades, slavery, colonialism, uh, Christians judging, Christians with their nose in the air. It's, um, it's a little hard for some people to get past that and believe in the goodness of Christians because of what Christians have done in the name of Jesus and without Jesus' authority. Let's just let that be a reminder that these people thought they were being righteous. Think of that. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? You see, there had been many that had claimed, I am the Messiah. And they died in the desert, or they died in uh, battles against the Romans. It all came to nothing. And so the soldier's looking at him. Of course, Paul's probably disheveled, bruised, and saying, are you the guy that led the 4,000 terrorists? Are you the Egyptian? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. He used the magic word, citizen. Because when you were a citizen of Rome, you had rights. Now, there are two levels of citizenship. One, you could buy citizenship, and that gave you um, a lot of rights. But the highest level was to be born a citizen of Rome. And Paul was born a citizen. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, so, he speaks the language of Rome, Latin, the Latin of the day, plus Greek, plus Hebrew, plus Aramaic. He's a sharp guy. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. By the way, Aramaic was a language that Jesus used. Uh, he grew up with that. Aramaic is in danger of extinction as a natural um, as a natural language in other words one that you're born with that the kids play in that's a living active language because of all of the wars and all the movements and resettlements in the area around Jesus where Jesus grew up Aramaic is uh, quickly leaving and it's just sad when a language leaves us so many Native American languages are now gone and so in fact every every year several languages die because the last native speaker dies this is their language and immediately they stop paul said i am a jew born in tarsus of cilicia but brought up in this city i studied under gamaliel 
was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as jealous for God. I said jealous, didn't I? Just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. Again, the name of the followers of Jesus at the time. I persecuted them to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as a high priest and all the council can themselves testify. In other words, they're still right over there. I did this. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. In other words, I was in that mob with you and I led it. I had official letters. I had official documentation. I had clearance from the people that are standing behind you that just shut the gates to that temple. About noon, I came near Damascus and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. By the way, just real quickly, and I'm going to adjust a little window over here, just to see if that helps settle some of the light flickering. And again, I apologize. In hotels, and so you never know uh, really what you're up against. There are people who will say, um, Paul tells this story with contradictions, because over here it says that the companions heard nothing. Here he says they heard, but they did not understand. That's correct. He told the story two different ways. He told it in two different languages. And in different languages, you phrase things in different ways. This hit me early on. I was 17, was flying uh, across the Atlantic again, this time going to land at um, Orly Airport, just outside Paris. And we were, um, I believe, on an Air Canada flight and I looked down, they had, back then they had the magazines uh, for not only the airline, but they had to have a bunch of different magazines. They don't have those now, not because of COVID, but because just getting rid of the magazines saved them multi-millions of dollars every year, not just in printing and writing and layout, but in fuel, just that little bit of weight savings. So that's why they got rid of all those. But I picked it up and on one side it would have the article in English and the other side in French. Well, at that time I was not fluent, but very, very comfortable in French. Today I'm very good at reading it, uh, but I'm not very good at speaking it because I, I haven't for so long. But I would read in English and I'd look over and see the paragraph in French and I would notice the phrasing was very different. Same article pushing the same concept, but phrased in different ways because the language is different. In French, there is no difference between saying, I go and I am going. There, there aren't two ways to say that like there are in English. There are many differences. And so he was telling the story in Aramaic here, not in Greek. Hope that helps. So it's not a contradiction. It's just the way the language reads. All right. My companion saw the light. They did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. By the way, whenever you ask God what to do, one of the first things he's generally going to tell you is move. Pray, eyes open, move. 
There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. <laughs> I like that. We got plans for you, Paul. Go into Damascus and you'll be told what they are. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law, unspoken here is like all of you, and highly respected by all the Jews living there. Some in a crowd would have known him. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you've seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. <clears throat> Just a word. The Bible does place baptism in a very important place in a believer's life. And like it or not, God never told us just to pray a sinner's prayer. If you prayed a sinner's prayer, I'm sure God heard you and God appreciates it, but that's not what he told us to do. He told us to get up and he told us to be baptized. And he does connect it in Acts chapter 2 with forgiveness of sins. Here, wash away your sins. These are concepts every Jew would have understood because they had these baptistries they went into ritually to cleanse themselves before of worship. The mikvah, mikvahut, as I said before. Uh, John's baptism. This was a very common thing. They would have understood this. You need a reset. Be baptized and go. Now the neat thing is, for Christians, we don't need to keep going back into the water because now we have access to the Father and our prayers we ask for forgiveness and we're given forgiveness. But again, if you've not been baptized, please understand that I am in no way questioning your salvation because that's completely outside my pay grade. What I can tell you is that the Bible places this action as an important step and does link it to forgiveness of sins. If you are watching this video anywhere and you want to be baptized, get in touch, patrick at rsafeharbor.com or info at rsafeharbor.com. If you're writing from outside the United States, remember we spell harbor the American way, so there's no you in it, all right? That way it won't bounce. Find us at rsafeharbor.com website. Connect with us. We will do everything we can to get someone to you to baptize you. And that's a promise because it's important. Verse 17, Paul continues. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, and I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. What's going on here? Well, Paul is baptized, he goes back to Jerusalem, and God goes, no, no, not here. Go, run, quick. God will sometimes tell you to run away. And here he did. And, and Paul's going, no, wait, these people know me. I've got solid street cred here. 
I, I, was, I was leading the charge against Christians, so now I believe in Christ, they'll, they'll listen to me. And God's going, no, they won't. Get out, I'm gonna send you far away. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he is not fit to live. Somebody had just taken some bites of the, the uh, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, hadn't they? They had decided who was fit to live and who was not. What a tragedy. We're going to pick it up right there next week. God bless you. If you need our help or if you'd like to become a member or if you'd like to give to support us, please go to www.rsafeharbor.com. Send us a note at info at our safe harbor. Stay in touch. Share this with someone else. With much love and much appreciation, I wish you the greatest of weeks. We'll see you next time.